Hello, and welcome to The Check Drop. Today's guest has two one-hour specials on Comedy Central. He was in the last episode of Better Call Saul this season. He can be seen in Space Force on Netflix. And he's currently a correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Please welcome to The Check Drop, Roy Wood Jr., Yo, what's up, Roy? Man, what up? Had the corn. Oh my God, my hair is horrible. <laughs> Put that on, baby. Look at my a... quarantine look, Chuck. I, I like it, man. Shit, did, bro. did you not look in the mirror before you came on? No, no, I didn't. It's been a hectic, hectic existence to say I, the least. I did notice your hair, but I didn't want to say anything because I've oh, seen terrible. Tre- I've seen Trevor's it's hair it's and he- It's like it's all over the place, bro. I mean, but. I've seen Trevor's hair, and it doesn't look like he's doing anything to that. So I think that's part no, of the. You know what? You ever see people whose hair, even when they don't get it cut, it still look like their hair grows evenly. Yeah, like, it's like my hair is just like all of this looks like five months. This looks like three months. The top looks like one month. It's just it's a joke, man. It's like the mange. <laughs> well, I think for the first two or three months, I was wearing a hat. So I finally, when I got to get my hair cut, I. I started taking care of myself a little bit. So <laughs> so let's get into it, man. How are you doing? Okay. You got to think about it. Yeah, I think I am ready. Yeah, so uh, you're obviously, uh, you're busy. You're you're back in New York, right? Yeah, yeah, we're back in New York. I was in uh, Birmingham about almost two months and then it started getting the block started getting a little hot down there and i was like all right maybe it's time for the family to drive back to new york city where it's safe which is crazy because when we left for alabama alabama was the safer place to be now did you go there just to hang out with your mom or or was just the new york was too hot and you just felt like you needed to go out or? nah it was mom time we had an aunt that passed so we needed to be close to her and that would keep her from going to mississippi to the funeral and being and like you hate to be in a situation where one funeral turns into four or some crazy shit. Right. So, and then also, you know, my kid, you know, my boy's four now, so he needs yard. He needs space. He needs place to really run around. So, you know, that, that proved to be useful. I right. just put it that way. Is that a game plan for Henry down the road, like to move out of the city to get that yard? I don't know. I, I, you know what? What's crazy? More space in the house. Yes. The only yards, but you're talking yard. You're talking Jersey. Like if you're on some, if you're trying to compare it to the South, it's Jersey, Brooklyn, maybe a, a few spots. But Jersey is the only thing that offers any semblance to a sidewalk and a school zone. That, you know, like that type of shit. But right. Yeah, I don't know, man. We'll we'll see what happens after the election. Are and you willing we'll to commute out. for the Daily Show? I would be willing to commute in exchange for my son's space, yes. But the problem is that, you know, where we are right now in Harlem, I get home fast before I go back out and do shows and do sets around the city. So if I'm not like, so on the average day, if I'm not on the daily show, I can be home around six, right? Okay. With my first spot not being until eight. So that buys me about 90 minutes in the house to do dad shit. I get all the time in the world in the morning. The morning is no problem. But if we move to Jersey, I can't, with, with only two hours of space, I can't go 45 minutes out to Jersey for 10 minutes of dad and then 45 minutes back in the city to start building the next hour special. So there's going to be nights where I'm going to have to choose. So I probably will have to give up some of the comedy if I move to Jersey gotcha. in exchange for being home. And I mean, you know, he's getting older, so there's going to be more, you know, how boys get, they talk, they talk shit and you need to be there yep. when they start talking shit so that you can discourage them from talking shit. <laughs> Got to keep them so, in line. Yeah, that's what. I, yeah, drill sergeant. Yeah, the drill sergeant needs to be around. Well, I like your optimism, um, referring to your third hour special and doing stand up. Have you done anything Hopefully. live? Ain't fucking with it. Ain't. I'm not going outside. 
I have my last, and I know this because I went through a bunch of my audio to listen to old sets just to remember what it was like to do stand up. Right. Um, March 13th was the last time I formally touched a microphone and I was in New York. My last road gig was February 29th in Pittsburgh. So I just, the thing is that you need, creators need an outlet to express themselves. And I'm fortunate enough to still have the daily show and to still be able to try and write a sketch or a script or something to keep me busy. So I'm, I'm thankful, you know, right, right now. That's what I was going to ask, like your creative outlook. And uh, because I had John Reap on last week and he's like, I got to get out. I got to go out and tell jokes and where I'm not canceling anything. I'll let them cancel me. That was his mindset. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm not, and this isn't me critiquing any other comics that are going out. It's just my, for me and where I feel best, it's to be able to just be close to home and take advantage of it and create all the other stuff that being on the road was kind of hindering me from being able to focus on right now. So I've been enjoying this time at home because it's given me an opportunity, you know, to sell scripts and write stuff. And, you know, so I'm chill with this for right now. I do know, unlike guys like Reek, I'm going to be disgustingly rusty when I get back out. Well, like as it's expected. not even going to be cool. It's going to it's going to be bad, man. It's going to yeah. be bad. I did one or two Zoom shows early on in the uh, quarantine, like in April. I just didn't like the feel of it for my style and for what I do. There's a lot of comedians at that Zoom shit, like performing like right now in this box. Right. It's perfect for. For me, it just didn't. I didn't feel good about it. Even if the people enjoyed it, I didn't feel good. And I'm selfish and this shit is all about me, you know? Well, you, you have to be comfortable in your position and have to like your job, right? You're in a position where if you don't like the scenario, you don't have to put yourself in that in that pocket, I guess. So Correct, but you still create. You still do other stuff. By no means should any entertainer not take advantage of these opportunities of being you know chill you know like you shouldn't just be chill if you can help it right but you know there's also guys that just need the mental the mental release of getting on stage and there's also comics that i know personally this is perfect for their personality in terms of just taking a mental break from the rat race that is entertainment especially in new york where there's just more pressure to make it and to do it than there is in l.a Right. And financially, some people just have to do it. You have to pivot and make it work, whatever they can do to, to uh, you know, especially with some of these guys that are all um, unemployment that runs out either last week or this week. I mean, it's. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of unemployment. I worry about and, them. Yeah, I think that the uh, the feds just came out today. Um, people can double check it, but I think they're cutting at 600 down to 200 a week, um, right. which is that's a huge hit. That is a huge and, hit. And so there, there's a lot of there's a lot of comics that are in a lot of different situations. Thankfully, the cool thing that I that I have seen happen um, is that you know they created funds, you know, for comedians to be able to apply for grants. Uh, Comedy Gives Back uh, was one of the charities we raised money for early on in the um, in pandemic. Right. And like all you have to do is a comedian with some verifiable gigs like you don't even need credits you just need to prove that you out here in the struggle the same as everybody else and they give them money check stuff from the the giggles comedy hut or something i didn't think you need that i think you just need a flyer fuck it just go on photoshop make you a flyer of yourself post dated predated well, I, I remember that you did that comedy gets back with like everyone under the sun and and i i remember i i said something on social media how it didn't work because kind of was a train wreck as far as the, you know, the, I guess, making it mold and, and be successful as far as making it look funny. Cause you see the comments and, and I know you did a great yeah. job trying to host and well, it was also the first three weeks. It was very new. Yes. I think there was figuring you know, out zoom and there was a lot of tech fuck ups and all of, there was a lot of that going around. I think they still ended up getting like about 300,000. Imagine how much more money they could have raised if we like, did it again. We time to get back now. Oh, yeah, do it now. You, you should do it like a, like a round two 
I mean, because I think I started watching it. Howie Mandel didn't know what the hell he was doing right when he started. I was like, this is not going to end well. It was literally watching comedians learn Zoom. Yeah, I feel that. In exchange way. for charity. It, and we did it. We got money. <laughs> we raised money for, for other comedians. But, yeah, it was, it's, it's, been, it's been an adjustment being at the house more and figuring out the work-life balance. Yeah, because you know me, I'll choose work in a heartbeat. But you know, he's four. He wants to write and learn and do stuff. So you know, it's my job to be out there with him and play and interact and you know, make sure he has some semblance of a childhood. Because yeah, well, being a dad is your first job now. Being a stand-up comic is is second. I assume. Yeah, yeah. I there's days where you where I feel like you have to choose though. Like, I don't think you get to do both in a balanced capacity at all times. Like not when you're a traveler. Like you just, you just don't. So, I choose father more than comic these yeah. days because I have the luxury to be able to. But there's still days where I'll just tell my girl, "Look, I just got to go in that other room. Don't nobody come in there for five hours. I just got to write some shit and watch something." And yeah well or, I've, met, I've met her a few times and and it's very good support system you have there on that, that side and that helps i mean if it was just you i mean i know i i know you very well and i know you need a good support system around you most of us do so we, we'd be useless without our spouse yes. or, or significant others so yeah, uh yeah so what you said you're uh writing some scripts and such do you have anything new coming down the pipe i i, I love that you kind of got a couple things in before all the uh covid shit hit so like i kept seeing your face pop up like on better call saul and then <laughs> yeah, space force OG. and you're yeah. so humble you n- would never like tell anybody until it just dropped and it was just what well, it was also in the middle of like one of the largest um reckonings of race issues in our country's history and i didn't want to be the guy on the timeline in the middle of george floyd and bring on the taylor hey y'all make sure you watch me on last og i would be a little tiffany yeah, Hattie. i forgot about that too last og That's i mean great move. yeah uh, but no it, it's just i'm blessed and it's just good opportunities to be able to be working uh before we got before we shut down uh before viacom and comedy central shut everything down I sold a script with this um, with this woman, this young woman, uh, Danny Fernandez, um, over to HBO Max that I'll be executive producing. Okay. And it shows about a young lady surviving a suicide attempt and figuring out her life after that. And it's a comedy, first of all, but it, it's it's cool to be in a position now where you can try to work with other people and go, that's a good idea. Maybe we should try to get that and let's work together. So, and then also, man, you know what I figured out? There's more longevity behind the camera than in front of it. If you can create yeah. good ideas, there's always going to be a space for you beyond just being the person on camera. And like, well, is that your um, long term goal to maybe step uh, back a bit and not perform as much in front and work on the back? No, I mean, I'm not going to go full Judd Apatow and just, like, have a 20-year gap between my two stand-up specials. I think that was the gap for Judd. It was, it was at least, like, 10 or 15 between, yeah. his, last, between his last two TV appearances. Um, but I, I do enjoy just writing and creating stuff, even if it's not for me. You just, you just have ideas, they pop in your head, and you go, oh, that's a good idea. Somebody would vibe with that. Let's see if there's a way to get that made. And so that's more of a way to help other young talent as well than just than, than just taking a feature act on the road with me like i think so when we did my my probation officer sitcom for comedy central the pilot which is still in development we're in a full rewrite and reworking it and probably will have to shoot the pilot again but what i discovered with that is that there are a lot more opportunities to be able to staff a show with people that deserve the experience and the opportunity. And there's, you have more power of influence when you're creating, when you got 90 positions to fill and you can shoot this show in Birmingham and create jobs in the city and then make two thirds of the hires in state, which is on some influence in the local economy. Like all of those things, like that doesn't happen unless I'm a creator and trying to sell an idea. 
And, and so I knew you did was, that. And you're obviously a huge fan of where you're from. And you 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 you, you rep 205 wherever you go, and that's great. And now, was it a was it a struggle with Comedy Central to do that? Or did you get any friction at all and say, hey, I want to film in Birmingham and I want this, I want this person, this person? Here's what made it easy. The city officials at the, the officials at the city and state level were very receptive to Viacom. And there fortunately had been enough, that, like Netflix shoots in Alabama all the time. The Walking Dead shoots a lot of, like a lot of the open field zombie shit, not every scene in The Walking Dead, but there's a lot of parts of The Walking Dead where they're just in an open field. That's Alabama. They just cross over the state line, shoot the zombie shit, then go back in the other state to shoot all the dialogue and all the tight shots and stuff. So the state isn't primitive. We're not using fucking Canon 35 millimeter hand crank into cameras to make movies. So once we, once that conversation was had, and you started looking at the price differentials and, you know, tax cuts and you hire locally, which gives you more cuts. We were able to put together a production that was, you know, dollar for dollar, you know, close to what Atlanta does. And I'm not going to say it was as cheap as Atlanta. It wasn't. But that's also a testament to Comedy Central taking a chance on a show in a new land to tell a different story. Tell a different story. You got to go to a different place, man. And even with the, like all these conversations around inclusion and you better have this many black people on your shit or else. We had those conversations two years ago about this show. You know, before the school, we had a black woman director, black cinematographer, we had black person ADs, black top to pop. And like that part of it, there was never any pushback. There was never a wrinkle. We shot in the middle of a civil rights district. Nice. Three blocks from where Dr. King was in jail. So to take a sitcom and just roll it up into a city like that, it wasn't a small task, but it didn't take a lot of convincing once everybody understood, you know, what was going on. And then also on the Alabama side of it, I had to convince them a little bit. You know, I'm from there and, you know, I feel like there's enough love for me in the community at the crib, but Alabama's also tired of being made fun of and being made to look stupid on camera. And you don't want to be the mayor or the county commissioner who greenlit the show that made the city look stupid. Did so they have, have to, to see the uh, the script, the pilot in advance to kind of sign off on that? They They asked for it. We legally couldn't give it to them. But I did have a meeting behind closed doors and there was a conversation about what the fucking gotcha we're gonna make you look good and not bad we're far enough away from it i can say this i went down to city hall and i brought like 10 15 pages of the script and i just sat there while they read it on some christopher nolan you know like with marvel movies like if you audition for a marvel movie they bring you the script you read it and then they take it away like there's a dude like you're, saying, when the you're, say, Club, you're saying this to me like I, I get scripts to Marvel movies yeah. left and right. Sure, Roy. So, I, I audition all the time for Marvel movies. So exactly what, you, uh, what you're meaning. So for really big movies where they're trying to keep the script under lock and they want an actor to see the script to see if they want to be a part of it, the script is hand-delivered to that actor's home and they sit and they read it in the presence of the script handler. And then it goes back in a briefcase, like a fucking kilo of dope. And you have, and, <laughs> like and handcuffed then, to his wrist. <laughs> bro, it, some shows, they don't even give you the full script. They just give you the pages where you got shit to do. That's what happened with Better Call Saul. Like, they keep that show so under wraps. When I auditioned for Better Call Saul, it was my pages. And when I got to set to shoot, you shoot your pages. Don't you worry about what the fuck Gus Fring doing. You don't need to know that. You a lawyer. And you talking to Kim Wexler. So go do some law shit. <laughs> All right, let's get into this since you brought it up. So I knew that you were a, a huge uh, Breaking Bad fan. And obviously, I, I assume you would be a, a Better Call Saul fa fan as well. Mm -hmm. Now, did you actively go out and tell your people and say, I want to be a part of this? Or did they just know that you were a fan? And walk walk everybody listening to through the process of you getting Better Call Saul. Um, so they have, they have all of the, and I only know this because of my sitcom, you have a role, 
and you have the people that you like, who you've seen around on television and stuff like that. And then you have the people who will audition in addition to that. And I've been on both sides of that. And so for Better Call Saul, you know, I think me being on The Daily Show in a frumpy suit, and this is from one of the producers, I'm not going to name names, but they're like, sometimes on The Daily Show, you look like a public defender. <laughs> like you look like your tie is not really bad. I can see that. Your suit's a little fruffled. And for a split second, I got offended, but then I was like, nah, he's right. And that's how I look. That's deliberate. Like, I want to look very bummy because, like, that's kind of the look I was going for on The Daily Show to a degree because I kind of wanted to be, like, Louis Black was my inspiration. I'll put it that way. So not a shitty suit, but just... Just a loose it, tie, laid back, just Yeah, I didn't skew. button this top, but that's yeah. how public defenders look after freaking eight, eight hours. Long day, just, yeah. Correct. So that was enough to that was enough to get me on their radar. And so that got me the audition. And, you know, naturally, I couldn't fly out there. So you had to put it on tape and send it in and, you know, hope for the best. But the thing about acting that's interesting is that there's so many people that audition for stuff that you just don't know if you're going to get it. Like being on TV isn't a lock, you know, for any of this stuff is the same thing with Space Force. That was that was it oh my god you want to talk about some super secret script shit first off did you know who else was uh, auditioning for that spot on better call saul or or did they not tell you that uh if they else? did not tell me that i can tell you space force off the air okay All i right. cannot tell you space force on the air but as a matter of fact i'm gonna text you in case the streaming service they're on doesn't shut off right away um but no, like that one was like the Space Force, the Space Force audition. They didn't even tell me it was Space Force. Like that's how, hey, look, this is a role on a show. You will play a military guy and this other guy you will discuss. And there wasn't enough in the script in the pages that I was in to put together. Like, oh, this is Space Force and that's Steve Carell. Well, how do you know that? Like going into a project to whether it's going to be worth your time, if it's going to be a shitty project um, that like, not to say if it was just you as the star that you wouldn't like do it. But like, obviously, if they told you more information as far as the cast, because that cast is amazing. And everybody, John Malkovich to Carell to uh, you. And I mean, there's so many great names in there. So that obviously, if they had told you that up front, you'd be like, "Hell yeah, sight unseen." I'm gonna, I'll, I'll audition for it. But otherwise, right. I think it'd be a little bit of a tougher sell if they, you don't know more information. If it's high profile like that, you usually already know it's it's something you want to be a part of, even if you don't know what it is. It's kind of like the exclusive night. It's like the nightclubs with the secret door. Like when you're in a club and you see someone go through a secret door in the side of the club, you go, "Oh, what's back there?" That's what those auditions are basically okay. like set up like. Did you know it was um, Netflix at the time? Too? Yeah, so okay. I knew it was Netflix. I knew it was a comedy. I knew it was you know sitcom, whatever. And I go, okay, this could be good or bad. But if you book it, they have to tell you, and then you can just go nah. And then it's on you to go figure out who the next person is that you want to cast, you know, in the role. So that and then that also the, the other thing, the other telltale is that you could book the role, then they negotiate your salary. And then, you know, based on whatever they've offered to pay you, whether or not the role is going to be about some shit or not. So that's also a thing. But, you know, for me, it came the offer came at a time like they give you also the tape windows. They go, all right, you're going to audition January 3rd for some shit that shoots January 20th. It was that and the timeline for space force no i don't remember it but it was was it, it in was the spring or, that. or the fall we shot in the fall we shot okay. in the fall same with this better call a, saul what i can't remember uh, that aired. saul we shot before no summer saul we shot before that i remember i tell you this we shot better call saul the same around the same time as the popeye chicken sandwich craze because i remember being upset that albuquerque's popeyes was too far away for grub <laughs> Was that during your coalition video? Correct. And that's that's why I remember it so vividly, because when I was in Albuquerque shooting Saul, that's how I was able to buy all of those West Coast sandwich wrappers, like Jack in the Box and all that I, stuff. I that wondered I, how you got that if you had friends like overnighting you chicken 
from all over the country. No, it was just from traveling. I just saved rappers. When I was in the Atlanta airport, I would literally go to every any anywhere in Atlanta airport that sold a chicken sandwich. I bought two, and those were for the people who don't know. I did a full YouTube series of chicken sandwiches. It was like The Wire, but for chicken, it was a bunch of chicken sandwiches plotting against the Popeye sandwich. Because Popeyes amazing. had the best dope. Yeah, just YouTube. They were like, yeah, YouTube, they were like three minute episodes a piece or so, and they were just it's kind of It's kind of sort of still funny, but with no Popeye sandwich craze to drive the understanding of what's happening, it, it sits a little weird now, but it was good shit at the time. It was very funny. Yeah, and your editing uh, skills, you, you could definitely tell that you're getting much better. And you're, yeah, you can see the, yeah. <laughs> the growth. <laughs> the progression. And I saw something <laughs> the other day, too, on your Instagram, and I saw something like a, like an image, like a font shaking. It's like, whoa, Roy's getting technical now. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. I do a lot of time on my hands. Right. right. A lot of time. No stand-up. Learn other stuff. Educate I'm trying yourself. to learn. Photoshop, I'm a decent editor. I mean, I'm not going to cut Hollywood films, but I could cut together my own joke 60-second shit for my social media because I like knowing that stuff so that I know when somebody's fucking me when it comes time to pay somebody to actually do it. Right. You're like, I did this in 45 seconds and you were charging me 200? This is bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. I know that this takes, I know this is a 30-minute job and it took you a day and a half. You are trash. Right. And you're milking me. Um, it, like I'm starting to get to a point now where I'm sending requests, sending graphics requests and hiring people through a third party. You know, there's a woman that works for me um, with my, well, she's the only person that works with me right now with my production company. And I send things through her and no one even knows that it's for me. And you'd be surprised how much faster mm. people turn stuff around. Like it's just, it's, it's weird. Well, have you heard of that Fiverr.com? They do stuff for like five or ten Fiverr, months. Fiverr's good if you catch somebody, and this is if you catch someone that is either American or understands American sensibilities for humor. Fiverr is a very, very difficult site for me to get someone to edit something at the comedic pacing of the dialogue. That, like, imagine if I sent the Rawls of the Coalition to someone on fiber and was trying to get them to understand, okay, on this line, cut here, this line, cut here. Right. You wouldn't even be able to do that with another American without it taking forever. So it's just some stuff right now. I just want to be able to do myself. And learn. No, that makes sense. I'm the same way. Fiber's great though. I'm Find a problem, more. fix it, do it yourself. Yeah. It no. just depends on what you need. Like that's the bigger issue with fiber because the good people that are on fiber, this is the other thing, the people that are good on fiber, they're booked. So their turn time is trash. So, it's Monday. I need this joke about it. I give you a perfect example. So this morning, there's the the baseball shit, right? So the COVID, COVID, the, the Marlins are done for a couple of days. They canceled the Yankees game because of COVID, and now there's, there's there's murmurs that the season will be canceled. Well, that was I inevitable, would, right? I mean, we knew something would pop up and... Someone was going to catch the shit. And now the question is, what you going to do about it? So that news broke at about 8 o'clock this morning. The conversation around canceling the season was probably about 9, 9.30 based on people I follow on Twitter. So I started thinking to myself, well, if they cancel the season today, how funny would it be to have a Chicago Cubs NL Central Champs 2020 graphic? up and ready to go the moment that the season is canceled and that's a joke that's only funny today if the season gets canceled right right do you pay somebody to do that on a three-hour turn and then the joke not even be used usable or do you just do it yourself and you i'm gonna in between Afterwards, I'm going to send you a $3 app that I use to do all my graphics. It's it's amazing. Send it away. Send it away. <laughs> send you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know. I enjoy it, man. I know I'm probably a bit of a control freak. A lot of that comes from not being able to afford to pay people to do stuff for so long that I'm just used to doing it myself. And that's probably a bigger career flaw in mine is that I suck at delegating suck at it man well it'll save you some money in the long run so we're getting there (laughs) all right so going back to space force um now i assume i don't know if you you care about i guess reviews like on your own stand-up and such what about uh reviews reviews on um 
like Space Force because the reviews aren't kind. Yeah, they're mixed. They're very mixed. Probably more bad than good. Um, what can I do? I showed up. I did my lines. I did my part. I'm part of an ensemble. The way I put it, a sitcom is football. Stand-up comedy is tennis. You know, if I fail at comedy, that's on me. That's my fault. You didn't like me or my point of view. Whereas a show works as a whole. You're also telling the story. So until they say Roy Wood Jr. sucked as an actor in that scene, it's not much that I can do other than just show up. It was um, There was a lot of that um, with Sullivan and Son on TBS, our first season. Like People wrote us off as just a sophomore show and, oh, it's just fart and beer jokes and bleh. And we went three seasons. We were supposed to go four, but the dude who greenlit us left the company, and therefore the new guy canceled us. That's a separate conversation. There's there's a lot of stuff that people don't like that that critics don't like that people love that continues to get renewed. I think the the verdict is still out on Space Force getting a second season. I hope they get. I heard it. Got it. Did you not hear that? <laughs> no, I have not heard that. I, it's quarantine, Chuck. We've been in a bubble. All right. You would think you'd have okay. a Google alert on yourself for that. Well, but... then let me check <laughs> I heard, that right now. I heard that, I think, a week ago that season two was picked up. So congrats. <laughs> I'm um, delivering the message for you. I'm yeah, July, it, yeah, no wonder. It was a week ago. No wonder. You, you, only, read, you only read it's your news a week late. Take that critics, fuck you. But you know why? Because half the critics hated it, so they didn't want to give no love and write a fucking review or, or write a news story that goes, guess what? It's back. Because y'all are haters. Yes. Yeah. So congrats, Netflix you're coming back. Renewed Space Force for season two. After the show's successful premiere back in May. It's funny that exactly. I'm delivering that news to you. Netflix so you're going to get paid again, Roy. Netflix, I don't know. My character is not like he's just a recurring. My character is in the army. This whole show okay. has eventually got to go to the moon the way they're writing it. So uh, yeah. sooner or later, I'm going to get left on Earth unless I change branches of the military. All right. I'm only two episodes in. I'm only two episodes in. It was, a, to be honest, it was a little bit of a struggle. So. I mean, I'm going to go watch it because I love you. <laughs> so. Well, thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Chuck. So, so you mentioned Sullivan's Son, which is a great show. I, I love that show. And, um, I mean, do you think, like, sitcoms like that are dead? They'll, they'll never come back and be popular we on, say, edgy. network TV? We were edgy. Um there, there will have to be an adjustment back to I think right now when you talk about change, there's going to be an overcorrection in PC culture in terms of what jokes are acceptable and what jokes are fun to be made. I think eventually what we'll see is that, you know, and for the people who didn't see Sullivan's time when it was on, you know, it was a huge cast, 10 people, every person a different race, everybody got ribbed no matter who it was. If you go on Steve Burns' Instagram, he posts a lot of old clips of the show. Um, I think if you're making Steve, if show, you're listening, I want you on our show here. So I reached out. I'm still trying to get him on here. I love Burn. Burn's great. Um, I think that there will eventually be a place for shows like that. I mean, if you look at Tim Allen's, uh, uh, was it Man with a Plan? Or that's not the show. Wait, is that the show? No, that's Matt LeBlanc. Man with a Plan just got canceled, but it got another season last year. Tim Allen is the other. I can't think of it, but Tim Allen had a sitcom that's very right wingy. You know, right. it flirts in that world or whatever. And there's an audience for it. And people think that networks are Dying? civil rights groups. Oh. No, it, like. <laughs> They are kind of. I mean, please reconnect your cable. Stop with all the streaming. Um, we mistake television networks for social activism organizations, and they're not. They're corporations. They want to make money. If somebody wants to watch this shit, we're gonna put it on TV. And, you know, I think right now, could a show like Sullivan and Son exist in this climate? No. If that show came out today, people would have a problem with it. But that show was of an era where there were a lot of shows, you know, telling different jokes that most shows wouldn't tell now. 
Um, you know, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think shows like that are gone or done because comedically speaking, there's a lot of comedians that tell jokes that people ain't feeling. They sell tickets. They still eat very, very comfortably on the road. So there's clearly an audience and an appetite for whatever there's an appetite for. There's going to be a channel eventually that'll put that stuff on TV, but it'll come after there's more of a a reckoning of understanding what the right thing is that needs to be done by people, you know, in terms of representation on TV, stuff like that. Yeah, I totally get it. Hey, um, uh, pivot a bit. Um, you put out a um, an article in Vulture magazine on March 16th, and I think it was titled, It's Time for Stand-Ups to Prepare for the Worst. I feel that you were ahead of the curve in um, kind of – laying out the template of what the hell is going to happen and what's not going to happen for as far as work-wise. And um, you, you mentioned that, obviously, entertainment was a disposable income. And, man, you were so right. <laughs> you hit it right on the head. If you look at the order in which cancellation started in this country, it was all fun shit. It was concerts, and then it was amusement parks, and then it was theaters and amphitheaters. And then they were like, all right, no more going to the club, no more bowling alleys, no more professional sports, uh, no more Disney World. You know what? No more restaurants. Just go the fuck home. And like everything that closed initially was just shit where you just go to hang out. And so comedy is on that list. Comedy is some shit you do to go. Let's eat. I like to laugh. You like to eat and laugh? Let's go to a comedy club. And it's not to say that the that the art and the occupation of comedian is not important and relevant in our society, but when you look at a country that is facing, I think we're approaching 40, if not, if we haven't passed it, 40 million people unemployed. Um, you have plenty of people dying. And there's people that are financially going to be wrecked for a minute off of what's happened. Spending $25 to come see me tell chuckle might not be at the top of your priority list for a little while, you know? And so I just think that you couple that with the comedy clubs and the comedy clubs trying to get people out. And I just feel like the only thing I feel like I was wrong on, or at least didn't predict was outdoor shows. I totally forgot about outdoors and Chappelle in a park, Burt Kreischer's doing drive-in shows. Um, there's a couple of outdoor shows in New York, um, but they're more showcase shows where, you know, multiple comics are doing the show. Those are free. But as far as the business model of live performance surviving, I just think eventually what you're going to see is performers are performing bigger venues coming back to the smaller venues. And the lower you are on the comedy totem pole, the more you need to be thinking about how you're going to create stage time for yourself because it's going to be that much more competitive if there's no concert if there's no if there's no arenas and no theaters and amphitheaters for those more major comics to perform they're coming back to the clubs right there's a vegas act but it's also going to make it harder for everybody else down the bottom of the tunnel pole to get work in that market of course so bitch you better start thinking about what the fuck you're gonna do so and that's all the article was it's just i wish you would really tell us what you feel roy just like there's a there's a guy i'm i'm gonna mispronounce his name because i've never gone to a show my aunt's gone twice uh terry fader is it fator or fader fader terry fader legendary vegas was any of the 20 years first winner of america's got talent or maybe the second or something like that Okay, so he has a Vegas residency, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. He does. He's performing on the road. You Is... can't compete with that. You can't compete with Terry Fader, bitch. So what you gonna do? Because that's one less week of work for everybody else. He better pull you know out why? some puppets. <laughs> you know why? Because Terry Fader sells tickets, motherfucker, which means the comedy club survives. And all the comedy club should be concerned with is booking people who sell tickets. Not people who, he's funny, we should give him a chance and slowly build him in the market. And maybe on the third trip through, he'll sell. No, fuck you. You can come open for Terry Fader. How about that, bitch? 
Now, so, so you mentioned the outdoor shows. I mean, historically, as far as an agent's perspective and the talent's perspective, it's like the worst show ever for you know going out and trying to do stand-up comedy. It's the least conductive atmosphere for laughter. It's, uh, there's no roof. There's I know no wall. I've, I booked you on a few of those back in the day in, Mitch, in the college market. But. You booked me at Chattanooga State. Let me tell the streets this story. <laughs> yeah. Is this, wait, is this going to be one of Roy Wood Jr.'s best gigs or worst gigs? Oh, this is terrible. Right, this is perfect. a terrible gig. Shout out to Chattanooga State for bringing me and paying me. I think I was like $900. And I don't know. This is like, oh, this is, this is in the early, this is one of the first gigs we booked. As a matter of fact, and I remember being scared because I thought every gig was going to be like this. Chattanooga State has this outdoor area where you can walk to and from the parking deck to the student union. They put a microphone in the middle of the walkway. They give me the mic and it's parents. I don't know, but there's a bunch of adults with children also here. And there's a radio station van 200 feet away with the truck of speakers. And it's cranking, fucking, and what time of day is this? This is eleven thirty in the morning, (laughs) and I'm supposed to do an hour. And the organizer comes over like eleven fifteen. Okay, well, uh, there's no people here yet, but we figure once you start, they'll see the show has started, and they will stop and they will gather around. I go, okay, cool. What are we going to do about this truck? And he goes, well, I'm not going to tell them to turn that music down. Okay, cool. Well, I'll go tell them. So I walk over to the radio truck. I go, hey, man, I got it. I don't know if they told you, but I got to like tell jokes right over here beside your truck. Would you mind turning down the rap music just for a minute? I like rap, but would you mind turning it down? And the DJ just looked at me, go, you got a job to do. I got a job to do. And he turned that shit up and I went over and I bombed. I bombed for 20 minutes and then the announcer just came over and got me. He just went. Like slowly ushering me to the side of the stage and he handed me my check, which was the only thing that mattered to me. And he just goes, we're going to regroup and uh, we'll get back to you. And I've never performed at Chattanooga State again. Was this also the time that it started raining? And there was a like a Halloween costume contest that rings a bell somewhere in one of the horror stories. No, that you told me. no, I think was that was that Dayton of Ohio? Was that I one? I, I'll, you I'll, you I'll, would remember more than I would. No, how many how many college shows do you think you did for me back in the day? Eight hundred, maybe. I'm I'm trying to do the math because. I had a couple stretches where I did 70 to 80 shows in a year. There was one year where we peaked around 95 to 100. And I feel like if I averaged 50 or 60 shows a year over a good 10-year stretch, we're probably at 700 if you count some of the peak years. Yeah. And then I've caught enough stragglers. You know, I'm going, I'm going 05 to 2015. That was the peak run. And then 2015 to 2020, you catch a few here and there. I'm I'm definitely under a thousand, but I'm way past five hundred. Yeah, for sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I remember some of those gigs you would tell me. <laughs> so many. Uh, I've done I, so much so that I've met children who I performed for in '05 who like have full careers now. And yeah, I remember you came to our student union at Iowa State, 2000. Anyway, I got two babies on the way. How you been? I'm like. God, I'm old. Yeah. We're all getting <laughs> old, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, if you, uh, I, you got so much on your plate. I mean, what's next? I mean, what do you, what do you want to do that you haven't done yet? You've done movies now. Um, I saw that you did, um, what's the movie you did with like Legend of Dick Dong or something? <laughs> oh, Legend of Dick Long. Dick Long. That was an Alabama based uh, film. Okay. Um, I haven't seen that yet. I want to see it. I cannot spoil it for you. It's it a looks dark, crazy. It's a, it's a very dark comedy. Two guys are trying to cover up the death of their friend in okay. a southern, small southern town. And when the secret gets out, it's all about them covering it up. And it's. And you play like a mortician or something? Yeah, I'm a doctor. I'm a. Um, 
What's the guy after you die? Who's the first dude you go to when he mortician? Check out the no, that's oh, oh the, the corner, home. the corner. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, where you go. Yeah, it. I play the corner. Got it. Um, there's um, I really would love to figure out a way to bring more film and television to the state of Alabama. So I want to try and use the projects that I'm doing uh, to do just that. Um, I have an animated project in the mix over at Comedy Central that we're working on. Uh, there's a few, there's a few scripted projects and film projects that I, the, the ink's not dry on them yet, so I can't speak to them, but you know, that stuff is moving. But for me, man, content creation and getting back on stage, I still love stand up. That's the bread and butter. And, you know, comedy is the only thing I trust because that's the only thing they can't take from me. You know, all the greats died with dates on the books and you know True. god willing i hope to be able to say that i hope that the same can be said about me when my time comes because i don't ever want to abandon stand up you know so it, it, so retirement is not part of your game plan ever no i'm taking this little sabbatical right now to get some other stuff off the ground and you know get some film and television get a get my production company underway but outside of that no you know i could get fat i can get uglier i could be just more i could have the worst crises in my life and it's still usable to put on stage and that's the game plan yeah i, I remember I mean, you saying that I, I can't remember the comedian used to quote all the time it might be chris rock but you said everything I do is to help yeah. promote and sell tickets down the road yeah everything i do is to get people to come see me live that's it yeah but not right now because COVID. <laughs> for future <laughs> but, but for future come see me in 2022 when we got that second batch of the vaccine don't take that first batch of that vaccine <laughs> well i asked that question so, this weekend and i got mixed reviews on uh, whether or not you would take that first one or not you know you kind of look at it like don't download that first windows 10 no, you got the, no. You got the glitches. So. <laughs> you don't want to glitch. <laughs> you start growing extra <laughs> appendages and stuff. The concept of a that whole concept is just crazy to me. Let me give you a little bit. Let me give you a little bit of the, of the, of the disease, and you won't have that disease. <laughs> okay, I guess. Um, so Comedy Central has been really good to you. Obviously, you just mentioned a, a, an animated project in the works. I know you did Crank Yankers as well, which you were known for for many years um, oh God, for yeah. doing some pranks and such. I wish you would bring those back. I know you're you're busy, but those uh, were epic. And, and Comedy Central has been really good to you. I remember we had the conversation, too, about why no Netflix special. And you're like, hey, I'm bringing going with the guys that brought me to the dance yeah yeah i mean because comedy central actually offered me one when nobody else gave a fuck so you know stay over here for a little bit uh to the prank calls that goes back to the sullivan and son question what made those prank calls good was my ability to say whatever the hell was on my mind and most of those i'm 41 now most of those prank calls were recorded from 21 to 25 years old. It's just a four-year stretch of pranks, and I stretched it out to three albums. Right. But, but they still listen to them to the day, this day. That that, but to do them requires a level of don't give a fuck that I don't possess anymore. And I know this because I tried to do another prank call album when I was like 37, 38 years old, and I couldn't find it in my heart to say these terrible things to old people and. <laughs> Black people, like the pranks are funny, but some of the stuff I was saying was very brutal, and the stuff was coming off the top of my head, which means you just have to be an inherently callous person, just in general. You're the first prank prank caller that you call them back afterwards and apologize and send them a present. (laughs) Yeah, and so I like I just. I don't know. It was like that dude at the beginning of Top Gun who just resigned from the, the Air Force. Because he was just like, it ain't in me no more. And he took his wings off. And right. I, I just, I've tried to do prank phone calls. It's just not in me anymore. And I know that legally Comedy Central can't use any of the pranks I did because of state laws. And also the technically property of the radio station where they were done. So it was just too much legal mumbo jumbo. Uh, it was cool to do Crank Yankers, finally. Did I tell you how when I found out I was opening for Bobcat Goldway? 
And no. the first the first years of Crank Yankers, I guess oh seven, oh eight ish or something. I was yeah. opening for Bobcat and I took my print call CDs with me to the club to sell. And then I gave him three that night to go listen to with the expectation he would listen to them and right. come back to the comedy club the next night and go, Oh my God, motherfucker, you gotta meet Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> Didn't happen. <laughs> was this Bobcat like when he was still doing the the voice and such, or is this when he pivoted? He was more, he was more subdued and was pivoting. He was on his producer shit. Okay. And so I was I was like, hey man, the next night, like just I was so new. Did you listen to him? Did you listen to my CD? Did you listen to it, Mr. Bobcat? He goes, No, nah, man, but I'm gonna get to it. And he never did. Yeah. And years later I got on Crank Anchor's thing out. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Well, this is the point of the show. This is the check drop. You know what that is, right? Yeah, that's where I, I bomb for five or six minutes while people do drunk math <laughs> in the club. <laughs> so basically, how would you close out this podcast is where I kind of leave it up to you and uh, as the guest. So if we were wrapping this up and everybody was kind of just listening and tailing off. You know what? I would tell everybody to love themselves and make sure you check on your people. Check on, oh yeah, for real, on some serious shit. Check on your friends. Make sure they straight because this thing has a lot of people rattled in ways that you wouldn't know unless you called to check on them. So there we go. We'll leave on a nice little mental health PSA. I like it, man. Well, Roy, thanks for visiting the Check Drop. If you need a comedian out there, you know where to go, summitcomedy.com. Tell them, Roy. Terry Fader, let me open for you, please. <laughs> you sell tickets. Get at right. me, Terry Fader. Roy, hang around, and uh, for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. All right, later. Uh-huh.